How's it going? Going well. You ready for another episode of Pod Cops? Always. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the laws with people's names in them. So all of the laws that usually trace back to a murder or some violent act that we don't realize come directly from that source? Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds cool. good. You going to start us off? Uh, sure. We can start off with, um, how about Carrie's Law? Did you read about that? Um, I know it had to do with the murder of Carrie Dunn in 2013. Mm-hmm. It was a murder in a hotel room, right? Yes. So her children were with her um, when her estranged husband tried to kill her. And by tried, I mean successfully did so. And her daughter struggled to dial 911 in the hotel phone because it required you to dial nine before the number. Outside lines, right? Yeah. So they were unable to call for help. So the daughter, who is nine, watched her mother get stabbed 21 times in a motel. That's terrible. But how many times do you go places and you don't know how to call an outside line just in regular life? Damn, I'm using my own office phone. I hate to remember to dial nine and then one and then the number. No, at all the jobs I've had, depending on what building you were in, it was completely different. Yep. It's very annoying. And I couldn't imagine being this nine-year-old child doing the thing that she's been trained and taught to do um, and unable to help. Trump signed it into law in 2018. 2018. So, did you say really? I said really. I couldn't believe he did something useful. Hey, stop, stop, stop. You're not wrong. My bias showing. It's blindingly. Um, (laughs) So this law is very important so that you would always be able to dial 911 um, regardless of what phone you are using, which is helpful, but I imagine there's going to be a lot of accidental dials of 911 for me. Considering I to hit nine, one, and then the number. <laughs> wow. There's going to be a lot of sniffling in this episode, isn't there? Yep, I am. My allergies are on point. <laughs> I think I'm having um, sympathy allergies with you because mine haven't really started yet. I'm sorry. Mississippi is uh, in full bloom. All right. So have you heard of Lauren's Law? I have not, actually. So Lauren's Law came about in uh, 2014. Uh, Lauren Lehman... Um, was playing intramural sports at school. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have heard this one. And she had uh, uh, essentially like a heart embolism, heart attack. And it took 13 minutes for EMTs to arrive on scene. And she died. Because nobody knew CPR or how to use a defibrillator, right? Exactly. So this changed in schools and public spaces and like workplaces. Um, that certain people need to be trained in CPR and with uh, AED training, which is the defibrillator, um, especially in schools. Um, So, you know, things like this can happen all the time. I mean, people play lacrosse, they get hit in the chest with lacrosse balls, they, you know, you know, basic CPR after any sort of head-to-head injury in school sports. I thought that was pretty interesting. It is interesting, especially with like within my position where I work, I am legally not allowed to touch anybody. So I can't actually give anybody CPR or I take liability on myself because I am a representative of the school. So (laughs) I work in healthcare. I'm not mandated from my position to know CPR, but um, anybody with a certain nursing degree or like frontline status is. Um, And what's interesting though, is working, um, in healthcare, 
with the elderly population, you need to know what their code status is immediately. So if somebody has like a DNR, mm-hmm. you cannot perform CPR on them even in the workplace if they fall down in front of you. I don't know, Danielle. I've watched a lot of medical dramas, and um, if I really want them to survive, I think I have that right. So strangely enough, the only thing you can do without having to check their medical record is stop them from choking, because choking isn't something covered under the DNR. It's not like a medical infraction. It's, you know, a circumstance. Mm -hmm. So you can jump into action. (laughs) You can jump into action to stop somebody from choking. But if there's some other medical distress, you need to call 911 and they need to deal with it within their parameters. Would you be using the Heimlich maneuver? Did you know that no one uses the Heimlich maneuver anymore? I don't know. Nope, because Mr. Heimlich's family patented the name to get mm-hmm. money every time you use the word Heimlich maneuver. So I believe it's something like uh, upward thrusts, or there's another name for it now that they use in healthcare because you can't legally say Heimlich maneuver without having to pay money. Should we not have said it three times in the last one minute? If by chance the <laughs> listens to pod cops we'll send you a check okay <laughs> just checking i don't know I, I, I worry um so continuing down the list that i think we both looked at online how about kaylee's law which i think sh- the fact that this had to be passed into a law made my brain explode see what i find interesting is that when you read through like true crime cases and cold cases when the parents try to report their children missing up until maybe the last two or three years, they've always been pushed back. Like the child needs to be gone for 48 hours or they probably ran away. They changed that after Johnny Gosh in the eighties. But like, I feel like it's still that same mentality. It depends on the age of the child. So I think they still push back when it's like a teenager and they'll say, Oh, all teenagers run away from home. Not true. But but a two year old is not, going any shouldn't go anywhere unsupervised and even if she did run away you need to find a two-year-old yes so kaylee's law um in many states have adopted this not all 50 states as of yet but i'm sure it is in the works and or there are other laws in place that require it uh make it redundant but this law was named after kaylee anthony yes who casey anthony's wonderful daughter that unfortunately died because <laughs> she waited a month to report her child missing. So this law actually requires that parents report their child missing within 24 hours and or um, to report the death of their child within one hour of it occurring. Within one hour. I mean, sometimes accidental deaths happen and you panic and freak out, I guess. I guess. I mean, I'm still surprised we three survived our childhood. So <laughs> I'm surprised anybody lived through the 70s and 80s. So we'll just leave that there. I'm going to go ahead and say 90s, too, because... <laughs> I did some stupid stuff. A lot of these sex offender laws. A whole lot. Let's start chronologically. The Wetterling Act, 1994, Jill. Yes, Jacob Wetterling. Jacob Wetterling. um, Was abducted with his, well, from his brother and friend, correct? Yeah, they were riding bikes uh, back from the Tom Thumb grocery store. Um, And they were very close to home very close to other houses when a gentleman approached them with a gun and let the other two boys run away and took Jacob. So 1994, this was the first act that uh, pushed for state registry in Minnesota. 
I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Right. So there were individual state registries. There wasn't one at the time in Minnesota. This case was only solved relatively recently, and it was somebody, again, that they knew had a past with sexual offenses against kids. So this, this law required you to keep it updated if you were to move to different areas? No, that was Megan's law. Uh, I, I wrote it down for that one, too. Well, they passed together. So Megan Kanka was the little girl in New Jersey mm-hmm. who was abducted um, and ended up being murdered by her across-the-street neighbor. So when they were passing the Wetterling Act, this had just happened. So this became part of the expansion on the act. So that was meant initially for just law enforcement to be able to see where sex offenders lived and let people know if necessary. Mm-hmm. It was ultimately expanded to allow anybody in the community to see uh, the location of any sex offenders in the community. Yes, and that connects with the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act that required the states, um, George Bush in 2006 required that states share their individual lists and registries um, so that they can be accessed all over the United States. Which makes sense because uh, I was listening to something recently and they were talking about how when there were just state registries and these are only being tracked by certain agencies, they would get phone calls from family members being like, hey, we have a, my brother's getting out of jail and we're trying to find out where he can live. Uh, what state doesn't track sex offenders? Awesome. <laughs> That's a good family member. Which, don't get me wrong, I think that the registries have done a lot of harm as well as a lot of good, especially, you know, making when- it. You know, level one, two, and three are all listed together, and you assume the same kind of crimes when they're not, in fact, the same right. kind of crimes. Right, and there's no way, just because this is protected information, like the sex offender across the street could have been prosecuted for being 18 and having a 15-year-old girlfriend, you know, and the family. Or peeing in public, uh, which or is booming exposure. <laughs> so, I mean, there are definitely different levels of it. Um, I think everybody assumes that it's, you know child rapist and killer and i think the intention of the registries was to protect children overall but it 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 got so far from that well it's one of those situations where the law was created and it was a one-size-fit-all when most crimes aren't one-size-fit-all which is why you have people going to jail for um sexual assault for one to two years but then you have someone attempted murder is 10 years and you're like well Right. It's very like a disconnect where like the actual crime was committed. Someone has to live with this. Not saying like an attempted murder, they don't have to live with it, but it's a different kind of crime. But it's just how we justify those crimes and the jail time that changes those things. I agree because we don't track murderers when they serve their time and they're done and they're out on the streets. They could live across the street. There's no registry for that. No, nope, unless you just Google their name. Unless you're in England where they give you a new name. And you can be a mass murderer and they let you out in like 20 years. I'm going to go say Canada does that as well. Canada believes in rehabilitation. They just believe in the best in everyone and it's horrifying. Especially that guy that like ate people on a bus. Yeah, the cannibal on the Greyhound bus. Yeah, no thanks. And that guy who killed his whole family by luring them to his family's house. Do you remember that guy? (laughs) I do recall that guy. Gross. Okay, uh, so connected, but... Disconnected but connected is the Amber Alert system, um, which Bush enacted into law in 2003. Um, Amanda, uh, sorry, Amber Hagerman was nine, was abducted in a grocery store parking lot. 
um, and that created the America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response System, which is AMBER. Um, is also an that blew my mind. An acronym for AMBER. I thought it was just named after her, and then I saw the acronym when I was reading it, and I was like, hot damn. That, I mean, that's cool um, that they would do that, although we know it as AMBER Alert more than we know it as America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. Um, and that combines efforts of local law enforcement with broadcasting stations to alert communities. Um, so it's just not the city where they're taken, but the whole state and or the region. So I feel like living in New England, we got a lot of missing people from all over New England because it took very a very short amount of time to go from Maine to Rhode Island if you're trying to get there fast. So it kind of connected that and gave us all those alerts. And I do like that, again, working in healthcare that they're expanding this to the silver alerts for older people with dementia and things like that because uh, it is a great resource to be able to reach everybody all at once just to be vigilant. Yes and I appreciate our aunt and uh, sister-in-law who keep us updated of everyone who's ever gone missing on the east coast. I always keep a lookout. Just like me watching Unsolved Mysteries as a child that could be right outside my door. Oh my gosh right? All you right. never know. You never know. It could be a haunted house. It could be a murderer. It could be, you could see any of these things, right? You're not wrong. So I think the one that I appreciated the most when I was doing the research was Marcy's Law. Okay. Um, so this was named after Marcy Nicholas uh, in 2008. She uh, was murdered, I believe, by uh, ex-boyfriend. Um, but what this law does is it keeps families aware of what's happening with court proceedings and um, the bail set on the accused. Which so, makes sense. So when they get out and you think they're in jail and they're not, that you can still be vigilant as to what's happening. Right. You know, I'm not saying that they're not going to grant bail and things like that, but think about being in the family's shoes and just running into this person in the supermarket, assuming he hasn't jumped bail, you know. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. But Especially think, with, like, again, how checking back with how the legal system works with this one-size-fit-all situation where you're innocent until proven guilty, but you still have the right to these courts and appeals and everything that's happening. And you expect as a victim that this person is going to be locked away, but their due process and everything that goes along with going through the court proceedings means that they have the right to be innocent until proven guilty and they get to not be in jail while they're waiting their trials. Exactly. I think it's the nature of the court process in the United States too, to be very secretive. So unless you're part of the proceedings, you know, you're the accused or you're the defendant, you're not going to know what's happening. So in a situation where, you know, an adult is murdered by another adult, there were no set rights for the family I think, to having access of information even though they are now bearing the burden of the defense for the deceased. Which is unfortunate, but also fortunate, because I would think if I were in that situation, I would still want some rights to be afforded to me. Oh, 100%. And you would assume, but you can't assume anything with the legal system. You're not wrong. Um, so the next law is the Matthew Shepard Act, which is so unfortunate because I know he was murdered in the late 90s, and it took until Obama in 2009 um, to enact this into law that provides money and educational resources for law enforcement investigating, prosecuting, or in prosecuting crimes um, in regards to specifically like the protected classes. Um, so Matthew Shepard 
identified as LGBT um, within Wyoming, um, and he ended up getting murdered for that. And kind of coming from that, we realized that a lot of education needs to go into those different identity statuses. So another uh, case that is attached with this law is James Bird Jr., Mm -hmm. uh, who was a black man who was lynched by three white supremacists in Texas in 1998. Um, I think the intent of the law, you know, I think when we think the Matthew Shepard Act, we think necessarily like LGBTQ um, as being the protected class. But I think the intention is also for all protected classes, you know, if, you know, based on race and religion and, and things like that, because hate crimes are hate crimes, hate crimes are hate crimes. You know, it's like when we think um, like affirmative action, everybody always assumes like, oh, that's for, you know, inner city kids of color to get into college but it's any sort of demographic that's at a disadvantage and it actually benefits white women more than anybody else because women overall are a minority (laughs) so i think that it's just interesting that i mean it did take more than 10 years to get this in action and it was definitely needed but i think it's important that you know it's for a bunch of different demographics you know Ten years, three presidents. How many wars? <laughs> Justifiable or not, that's a different podcast. <laughs> We're not here for that. Oh, man. Um, and the last one I took notes on, I don't know if you have a bunch more, uh, the last one I took notes on was the Ryan White Act, which I remember specifically learning about Ryan White in health class in, like, sixth grade um, because he was through a blood transfusion during after a ski accident, he ended up uh, contracting HIV AIDS. Um, and then from that, that he had to like call into his classroom because he wasn't allowed to be near other students because they didn't understand AIDS at the time, especially so, being 1990. So um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 1998. This was something that was fresh in my mind because my understanding of cancer and blood transfusions and surgeries and things like that came from like these film strips they showed us, you know, about what happened with Ryan White through the the medical transfusion, you know, all these kids with everybody who had cancer in the 80s apparently had leukemia based on these film strips, you know, so I think it really impacted our, our generation. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it made it seem like it was so easy to contract this, but at the time, the country and the world didn't know a lot about what AIDS was, where it came from, who trans, like, who got it, who gave it to whoever, like, whoever. They um, thought it was an inner city gay man's disease. Or, like, straight out of Africa, like, just poverty disease. Um but this law provided substantial funding for the development and maintenance of programs to assist, uh, assist diagnosing and caring for and treating individuals with HIV AIDS. So I think from that, as, as unfortunate as his story was, um, a lot of education has come from it that we know that you can't just contract it by sitting next to someone who has it, which seems pretty obvious. But, you know, the 80s, 90s were a scary time. You know, I feel like we used to talk about it all the time. It was on every news cycle. But now, once in a while, it pops up with, hey, they cured these random two people who had HIV AIDS. No one talks. Through, like, bone marrow transfusions or whatever, right? Right. And, you know, and you encounter, you know, in real life, you encounter people who have HIV, and they've had it for now, like, 20 years. And it hasn't gone into full-blown AIDS, and 
my 80s brain still has a hard time being like, I don't understand this disease at all. I think it's wild. It's a logical next step. It's wildly misunderstood, you know, like, especially with like all these still alive, like, no problems. Like, so what, what is happening? I feel like they're not communicating anymore. (laughs) What, you know, what the actual breakthroughs are and what the actual prognoses are. They just went with the shock tactic in the eighties and the nineties and they never dialed it back because you can live with this disease for a long time. Well, I think it was also, I think there's also still that bias that they think it's still the gay man's disease or heavy drug users, the only people to get it. Um, I think in recent years, I've seen a lot more of those like quick infomercial commercials that are like, be undetected. I take the pill. I'm like, not that pill, this other pill that helps me live my normal life. I think there's still that hidden biases that only people who identify within certain subgroups and or like our heavy drug addicts get this disease. There's a medical advertisement that's on the TV now. You know, I watch all that crime TV, so they're always trying to sell me um, usually old people diseases and um, give to St. Jude and uh, abuse dogs. But there is a new one making the rounds that is some pill that is like, uh, I don't want to say a preventative for HIV AIDS. I think it's just uh, like a course of medication you can take. That is like a prevent, it's not going to stop it from happening, but if you're in a high risk demographic, it's something that can help. And I thought that was interesting to be on the late night, you know, usually what it's like about your, are you incontinent? (laughs) You're like, no, I don't need home delivery of catheters. Can you please put forensic files back on? Thank you. (laughs) Oh boy. I feel like the Ryan White story still like depresses me so much when I like think about the because I was I'm, I'm watching the CNN decade series um, and like that was like a big thing of the 80s 90s mm-hmm. was like well, the spread of HIV AIDS and what that looked like but then going and it was showing the same film strip that I remember watching of Ryan White like calling into class or whatever and then yeah. eventually passing away um, but it's just it's it's so sad but like that is like a huge marker of like I think everybody if your parents signed you the waiver that you could take health class in sixth grade, um, that you went through that and you got to learn about him and his story. And I think it's so important um, that this law exists and that we continue to have these conversations. Although, as we were just discussing, I think there's a lot more that we can still be doing to kind of get rid of the myths that kind of tie around with the disease. But it's very interesting. What year is it that you took sex ed? Fifth grade. So 2001. 2001. So that would mean I took it in what, 1994. <laughs> <laughs> so, right has sex after changed? Died. Should I take it again? <laughs> no, they just hand out different items. <laughs> I thought it was interesting researching these laws because so many of them, I mean, they come after these horrific crimes. A lot of them have to do with you know missing kids or you know abused or murdered women, but there were a whole bunch of them that had to do about things that just had me laughing out loud, like um, Pamela's Law, which made it illegal to sell bath salts. Yes. Like, oh God. <laughs> yes, uh, I di- I didn't really take notes on the ones that are like state by state more than anything, just because like federal law obviously is more impactful and I live in Mississippi and none of those laws pertain to me. Um, this is pretty backwards when it comes to certain laws and things and what you can and can't do. Um, although you can drink and drive, you can't do all these other things that make sense that you shouldn't be able to do. Um, 
but that was very interesting to read about because I mean, at one point it was legal to buy those drugs. Yeah. From the store. In apparently smoke them and then try to eat people's faces and then murder. Try. I believe there's at least one Florida man that was successful. Oh, Florida man. He's so prolific. He does all the things. I did, uh, I did like, I did take notes on the one Florida law, the Jessica's law. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. So this is Florida only. It was 2005 after uh, Jessica Lunsford was lured from her home and then tortured and raped for three days before being buried alive. She wasn't found for 10 days. So um, <clears throat> Florida passed uh, mandatory sex offender minimums for uh, sentencing and enacted GPS tracking for life. So now, because I'm terrible and think very poorly of Florida, I just assume the entire state of Florida lighting up under the GPS bleeps. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of uh, snowbirds down there that don't so, represent that population. So it's like sex offenders, old ladies, and alligators? That sounds like the population to me. America's Wonderland. I mean, I am partial to Universal. I mean, Harry Potter World or Bust. Not wrong. Not wrong. All right. So that was an interesting dive. I just think it's, you know, it's it's interesting to hear about it because a lot of these are part of our vocabulary and we don't know where they came from. Yes, especially like, or we know the story, but we don't know that laws were actually enacted around it. Right. So it's kind of like both sides of the story. So it's very interesting. I'm sure there's more that we didn't see. Um, I'm sure we're looking at the same, like, ranker, BuzzFeed, and, like, true crime Wikipedia list. But at the end of the day, we're providing information to the five people that listen. Hey. Hey, five people. Thanks for listening. You're the best. (laughs) Welcome to podcast. You're the real MVP. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so I just found an article title, which I just, I, mm, I think, well, I was on, I don't even know. Okay, sorry. Found an article title. Um, tell me what you think you think it's about. Um, witness in Italian sex trial dies suddenly. Witness in an Italian sex trial dies suddenly. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be like a Viagra thing? No. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, well, she was a main witness. This woman um, was a main witness against the previous prime minister of Italy who used to throw sex parties. Disaster. Throw sex parties. um, And she dies suddenly. Uh, She was found with a mixture of radioactive substances in her system that are not normally available for purchase. So this this appears to me um, more like a murder. A little fishy. Especially when she was, like, the main witness. Um, she's been testifying against this and had evidence of um, underage prostitution happening at the, the prime minister's house. And, like, certain parties he was throwing. You know, we are in the Trump-Putin age, so I think that's a uh, par for the course right now. Isn't that how problems go away? Um, murder should not be the way it goes, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't even say murder. It says witness an Italian sex trial dies suddenly as if, like, she literally just woke up one day and died. Well, that's how all of Putin's uh, enemies keep dying, by randomly being found at the bottom of stairwells. Well, that is the Russian way. Um, Historically, you're correct. 100% voter turnout. I have a fun one for you. Okay. Police arrest drunk woman with suitcase full of cats. Was the cat alive? What do you think she was doing. 
I don't wish the cats alive. They were alive. Drunk. They arrest drunk woman with suitcase full of cats. Yes. Was she moving? No, the cats were. She was uh, taking them to the MSPCA. How many cats were in the suitcase? They didn't give an exact number in the article, but I did check to make sure it wasn't our mother. I mean, solid. So she doesn't have a suitcase. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think Frank the Tank would fit in a suitcase even by like, himself. <laughs> just thinking about like, yes, Elliot and Zelda are like friendly now. I don't think they would be okay with me shoving the two of them into a suitcase. Nope, probably not. And then my second runner up for fun one this week was, this one actually self-explanatory. It was just like the stupidest headline of the week. Extreme self-service. Authorities look for a man who made his own sandwich at a subway in Michigan, rang up orders for the customers, and then swiped $20 from the cash register before taking off. I mean, to be fair, he probably deserved those $20 for working if the people at Subway were not working. (laughs) I mean, labor laws do say that you need to be paid for any work that you do. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think he's in the wrong on that one. Plus, Subway is pretty terrible. Oh, my God. Like, they should pay me to eat their sandwiches. Ugh. They're, they're no Jimmy John's, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't, but um, that sounds solid. Jimmy John's is so good. They should sponsor us because I love them so much. Yep. Next, next week, we're going to have our first sponsor, Jimmy John's Sandwiches. Way better than Subway. <laughs> um, Not wrong. Don't even laugh at that. Thank you for listening to podcast. For listening to today's episodes of Podcops. If you have any thoughts or suggestions or true crime pet peeves, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Podcops. That's P O D C O P S. Or reach us at podcops at gmail.com. This project is a work in progress. Please bear with us, but thank you for giving us a shot. As our tagline states, we barely know what we're talking about, but we talk a lot.